open up um, your phone, there is a Bible app, or a Bible um, version of the Bible in our app. You can look there if you don't have one with you. Um, we're going to be in Luke 14 this morning. We're going to be in Luke 14. Let me turn there as well. Let me, let me read this. Let me read this before we jump into talking about it and breaking it down. Luke 14, verse 25. We're going to go to verse 35 this morning. Now, great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who has come against him with 20,000? Verse 32, if not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, everyone who has <clears throat> of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Verse 34, now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. That's always the word for us as we gather together to hear from the Scriptures. Everyone who has ears to hear, <laughs> listen. Always good advice there. So here we are in Luke 14. And it, whoops. And it starts out in verse 25. It says, now great crowds were traveling with him. Great crowds were traveling with him. Jesus is, is getting quite the audience. They're coming after him. This is, this is, what, this is what every big-time leader wants, right? This, this is what every leader of an organization wants. You want to see that growth. You want to see that, that following. You want to see big things happen. Uh, it's a sign of success and the typical MO of this is like, okay, what do I have to do then to keep this thing growing and moving forward? You know, everybody else around Jesus, his disciples were probably thinking, man, this is, this is absolutely fantastic. You see these thousands of people, these crowds coming to us? Oh my word, can you imagine? We're right here with Jesus. We get to be in that inner circle, we, you know, all that. And, the, and we get to influence and we get to feed it. We get to do all this stuff for the crowd. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. What do we have to do to keep this thing moving and growing and gaining momentum so that, you know, so that we can be a part of this thing that's, that's changing the world? And Jesus says to them, he turns to the crowds and says to them in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What in the world? <laughs> what? Jesus, did I, did I hear you right? Jesus, did, did I... Did I did I just hear you say something about hating those people who are close to me? Did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus really say that? What, what in, okay, so 
Back in Luke 6, Jesus, you told us, love our enemies. All those people that we don't like, all, all the people that are coming against us, all the people who have disagreements with us, all the people that we have conflict with, Jesus, you said, love them. And now you're saying, the people who are closest to me, I'm supposed to hate. I don't understand. And I think a lot of times we come to a pass, I don't understand what you're actually asking me to do. Love our enemies, hate our families. Why? Why? Jesus, you see the crowds. They love you. They love you. And you just told them that if they don't hate their families and even hate themselves, that they can't follow you. What is going on here? Well, it's easy to get stuck with, stuck in what we love. It's easy to get bogged down by what we love. You ever have, you have this experience? You love something and all of a sudden it becomes just the forefront of your mind. You can't think of anything else. It's, you know, it's easy to hold on to something that we love. It's even, even easy to, to compromise our decisions by holding on to something that we love and we're trying to hold it tight. Jesus, we, we know Jesus is our example. We see that, you know, Jesus is our, our great example and we're to follow him and follow in his footsteps. Jesus could have seen these crowds and he could have told his disciples something like, you know, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and forgo that thing called the cross because we're having such a great time here. Something's happening here, and I'm enjoying myself so much. And, and he loved his friends. He loved his friends. He loved the disciples. I think I'm just going to forgo that cross thing so that we can keep hanging out. But what did he do? He gives up what he loves for a greater purpose, Right? Jesus could have, could have said, you know, my brothers and sisters are starting to talk about how crazy I am. They've, they come to me on occasion and say, hey, can we just remove you from the situation? You, you know, if you don't remove yourself from the situation, we're going to forcefully remove you, you know, by means because we think you're crazy. Jesus loved his family, loved his mother. One of the last things he does as he's on the cross is does what? He's, he puts his mother into the care of the disciple John, and said, take care of her like she's your own mother. But he could have said, you know what? My family's really starting to be put on edge by what we're talking about and, and, and some of this new kingdom stuff. And you know, I, I, I probably could tone this down. I could probably could tone this down so that they, you know, they, don't, they don't leave or they don't think I'm, I'm crazy. So they'll prove of what their son, of what their brother is doing. But what does he do? He gives up what he loves for a greater purpose. This is Jesus, our example. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I don't know how much Jesus had talked to them about the cross yet. In Luke, we haven't had a lot of dialogue about Jesus sharing with them, oh, you know, hey, this is what it's going to look like. This is what I'm going to do. When I get to Jerusalem, this is where they're going to put me on the cross. Um, I can imagine them wondering, okay, what is this cross talk? 
The, the cross meant what? Death. Death. Jesus, what are you saying here? If we can't put to death some of this stuff, we can't follow you? And he talks about family. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brother, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's going to talk about family. He's going to talk about, he's going to bring in two more stories in this passage. We read them. He's going to talk about building, building a tower and counting the cost. He's going to talk about going to war and counting the cost. All three of those things, all three of those situations, family, building something for ourselves, going to war, fighting battles, all three of those could be centered on identity and power, where we find our identity and how we try to gain or have power. All three of those are very costly and time-consuming, right? And not in bad ways, necessarily, but they're, they take time. They take energy and focus. All three of these things, focusing on our relationships primarily, you know, our, our identity, building stuff for ourselves, for our life, going to battle, always fighting battles with somebody, all three of those things can easily divert our eyes away from God. And this is what I think he's getting at. They're not bad. Family is not bad. Jesus is, you know, we'll just put that out there. We'll talk about this later. Jesus is not saying that family is bad, right? Uh, building, we do, we do have done wonderful things with, with buildings, I mean, right? We, it's nice to have a building and a shelter and, and stay warm when it's cold outside. You know, the, the act of building is not bad in of itself, Fighting just wars or, or battles, trying to bring justice and, and, and peace. It's not bad. In fact, if you think about family and, and building and, and prospering in this life, it, it goes back to our creation mandate. What did God create us to do? He says, multiply, rule this, rule this world, take care of this world, steward this world. Implied, build something up out of it, right? Develop it, build something up out of it. But we live in a world who has, who has twisted that and, and taken the idea of identity and power and control and, and twisted that. And so he talks about family. He talks about this, this idea of, of building for which of you wanting to build a tower in verse 28 doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Of course, <laughs> that's the smart thing to do. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will ridicule him, saying, the man started to build, and it was, they weren't able to finish. There is a cost. We, we see it in this process. One of, the, one of the, uh, the big building projects of their time would have been the temple. Herod started building this temple, this new temple, this huge temple up on the mount. It was still in progress as Jesus was living. They were still building it. Uh, it wouldn't be completed until about 64 A.D., like, finished, uh, you know, that the project finished. So this thing is under construction actually for about 46 years. You go to Jerusalem at the, in the first century, near first century Jew, you see the temple rising as it's being built and added to. You know, you see the glory of this temple being built. Someone said that the temple was considered one of the most magnificent buildings in the ancient world. And it was a major... Uh, accomplishment for Herod and for the Jewish people. But what are you building for? Jesus, what, what, are we, 
What are we building for? What are we building for? And he says, go to war, you know, going to war. What king who's going to war in verse 31 against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able to with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? Can you take them on? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciples. War was commonplace for that day and age. There were wars happening all over the place. There were, there were major empires being built and crumbling and being built again because of war. Kings were going to war all the time. The, the Romans who, were, who had conquered uh, Judea, they, they had gone to war all over the world to expand their empire. I can imagine Jesus, as he's looking at the people around him, says, okay, so we got a thousand people with us. I don't know the numbers that were following Jesus at that time, but we got a thousand people with us. Great. You, you think something big is going to happen. You're all excited because you think because of this, this movement of the Messiah, we're going, to kick, we're going to kick the Romans out of here. Have you ever considered, there's a thousand of us. Have you seen the 20,000 Romans on the hillside, right? Are we, do, you, do we understand? Do you understand the cost of this? This is, this, is, this is like what you have to do when you come to follow me. You have to count the cost, Count the cost. When we build, when we go to war, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes cost. But when we do those things, oftentimes we put ourselves in the commander position, the first and foremost in that position. All, all three of these things, family, building, and war were, were, com- were commonplace and, and extremely important in their day and age. Family, you had to have family to keep on going, right? Specifically sons to keep on going. It was very important, you know, for, for a father to have sons. Why? So their name keeps on going, all right? It keeps on going to the future. Your family keeps moving forward. They, they're, it's alive. Your name's alive and, and moving forward. Building. Something like the temple was very important for them. Why? Because what did a big temple say? Our God's real and our God's mighty. And we've got a big house for him to live in. All right? Our God's house is bigger than your God's house. You know, you have Romans all over the world putting up temples to their gods, right? It's like this competition. You got the Romans, you got the Greeks, you got others who are putting, building temples to their gods. And it's like Herod comes in and says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to build the biggest one. You know? Show our people are important. And how did a nation stay alive? How did it keep going? It would go to war. Because you constantly had enemies coming at you, trying to gain territory and take territory and get the upper hand. But all of these things could be done to build something for yourself. All of those things could be pursued in a a worldly way to continue building a a kingdom for yourself. And Christ, Jesus, Jesus calls us to fall under His command, to fall under Him. And it means we need to be able to give some things up. And this is not a passage about, oh, we're all going to be poor and destitute. 
We're going to have no marriages. We're going to have no... It's not a passage like that, but he's talking about priorities. What are our priorities in this life? Now that we've come to Jesus, are we seeking the right priorities? Again, all of these things, the, the family building, building and expanding, and, and then war, we're about identity and power and control. It took a lot of time. They're three big idols of our culture. You think about our culture, what, you know, everybody's talking about identity, right? Trying to find our identities, even trying to create identities because we have a void inside of us. Identity is huge. It's a huge idol of our day and age and time. Power, huge idol. And what we do with our time, how we use our resources, a huge idol. But following Jesus actually frees us up from the biggest idols of our lives. Do you believe this? Following Jesus can actually free us from the biggest idols, all of the idols, of our lives. Romans 6.22, but now since you have been set free from sin, we've been set free and have become enslaved to God. You have your fruit, your growth, which results in sanctification, becoming more and more holy, as Christ is holy, and the outcome is what? Eternal life. Oh, my goodness. It says, you've been set free from this thing called sin. Yes, we all want to be free. Oh, but now you're enslaved by God. What, well, what does that mean? I thought I was set free. God, now you're saying you're, I'm, I'm enslaved? What, what does this mean? It means to be controlled by, dominated by, taking orders from God and not ourselves. And there are things that, as we're now slaves of God, that should fall under the headship of God. Things like our finances and our relationships, our work, how we do community, like politics, what religion looks like to us. They're not our own. The things that we put so much time and energy in, like finances, you know, keeping track of our finances, they're not our own. Our relationships, Jesus says, when you come to me, your relationships are not your own anymore. It falls under my priorities, my command, my way of doing things. Your work, your work is no longer for this world, but your work, no matter where you are, no matter where you are, where you work, what you do, where you volunteer, whatever it is, doesn't fall under the glory of this world, it falls under the glory of God and His purposes. I think with that, then, it becomes less of a burden. Less of a burden, because each and every day we just go to work and we say, Lord, I, I need to give this to you. I don't like this task today. Today's this certain thing that I have to accomplish, and I never like this day of the week. Monday's coming. I never like Monday, but God, you know what? I'm going to give this Monday to you. God, this Monday is for you. We've been freed from death and sin, the ultimate burden. That ultimate burden has been taken care of for us. And Jesus says, 
that as you follow me, we, we look at our, your priorities. We look at even the idols of your life. We start to tear those down, take them away, so that you can truly be called my disciple. The world is looking for the ROI. You know what that what is? That is return on investment. The world's always looking for the return on investment, right? You go to work, your 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 bosses, or maybe you're the boss. You're looking for that return on investment, right? I do this, I get this. I do this, I move here. You know this happens, and then we prosper over here. And this is what this is where the books should go up here. The world is always looking for the return on investment. You go to war. Jesus says, hey, just like a king goes to war, what are you looking for? The return on investment of your soldiers going to war, conquering this other, this other nation, building bigger, bigger empires, right? building projects, all right? building the temple. We're looking for a return on investment. We're building a big house for God. We'd love to see God occupy this space again and show the other people that we are still His, his people, truly His people. Family. Sometimes, sometimes we put our families in this category. I married her, or I married him. This is what I'm expecting, right? I mean, we sort of work it in our minds, like, where's my return on investment? I'm hoping since I have four kids that eventually one of them is going to take care of me. <laughs> I had four kids. <laughs> this is where we go, right? This is sort of where we go. Now, our investment, our investment now is giving up all things to follow Jesus. What kind of investment is that? <laughs> that? That just looks like a loss on the books, right? To the world, that looks like a loss on the books. What do you mean? You had a successful business, and, and now we're, you're just giving your product away for free? We don't do that because it doesn't, it doesn't increase the books and the, the, the projection in the books. Our investment is giving up all that we are, all that we have to follow Jesus. And our return is life. In, in Romans, we saw that. It's eternal life. What more can you get from that? I mean, that, it's adoption as God's children. Not just that, no, okay, now God has said, okay, you accept Jesus, now you're still on your own, that's, that's fine, but now you're going to have a better time at it. No, no, we've actually been adopted and called heirs of God. And another return is we're also free to just let Jesus figure this thing out. And we don't have to spin our wheels trying to figure out this thing called life. Because here we are following after his example. Again, Jesus is not saying that in order to follow me, you got to be poor, you got to just throw your money out the window in the fireplace, just take it and burn it in the fireplace. You know, he's not saying that. He's not saying, hey, divorce yourself from families, give up on your parents. He's not saying that. What he's saying is all of those things should begin to fall in line with what he's doing and his purpose and plan. They're to be used for kingdom work and not just for our own work. He's saying that Nothing in this world should take priority over our relationship with God. Creator God, who created us, gave us this, this great earth to live on. This place is pretty amazing, right? I mean, we're just in a little corner of it. The, the diversity and in, in, uh, just landscape. and I mean, all, all, this is an amazing place. 
If you've ever, ever had a chance to travel around, you see the amazing things that God has created. He says, everything then should be used for his kingdom work. Everything then should take a back seat because our priority is our relationship with God and to do what God has asked us to do on this great place, in this great place. It comes down to a matter of trust, right? Comes down, I mean, Jesus, he's, he's saying this to the crowd, if anyone comes after me and doesn't hate all these people and even his own life, you can't be my disciple. And then he talks about counting the cost, counting the cost. It costs something to follow Jesus. It means giving up the ways of this world to follow Jesus. It costs something. People aren't going to understand what we're doing. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Trust in him at all times. Even when things don't make sense, trust in him. You people, it's like my people, God says, my people trust in me. Pour out your hearts before God. See, God's in this position. He wants us to come to him and to pour out our cares, our concerns, our anxiety to him. Pour out the joy that we have before him because he is our refuge. He is the one who keeps us safe. And honestly, it can be very difficult to put our trust in someone else other than ourselves. Anybody else struggle with this? I will all raise my hand when I think about, okay, my plans for this next week and all the things I'm thinking about and all the things I have to accomplish and all the things I have to do and I have to keep it all straight because I don't trust anyone else to do this job or to do this thing or this task or whatever it may be. Sometimes it's difficult to put our trust in someone else other than ourselves, but this is what Jesus is saying. Not just your salvation experience, put your trust in me, and you know, not just in that one-time salvation experience, but for life for your relationships, for your work, for your resources. Put them in my hands, Jesus is saying. Trust me. I am your refuge. I am your protector. And we can't guarantee, Jesus, again, he's not saying everything's going to go you know, smoothly, or it's not going to look like it's going smoothly. We're going to have bumps in the road. It's going to be hard, you know, right? Not, not everything will become super easy because we put our trust in Jesus. That's a false gospel message that gets peddled around, right? You accept Christ, and man, all of a sudden, all these kingdom blessings should be experienced by you. I mean, that's just, a, we, live, we live on this world full of sin, with sinful people, and we make mistakes sometimes. We hurt people sometimes. People hurt us sometimes. That's, that's reality. But who's with us? Who are we taking refuge in? Myself or God? Am I, am I looking to myself to protect, keep me safe, on track? Or am I just experiencing the freedom that Jesus says, you, you, you'll, you'll experience freedom when you allow these things to go. 
Again, not getting rid of it, but just letting Jesus have control of this thing. It may allow us to stay in a job that we don't like. Why? Because you know what? Jesus may have called me here. I was talking to a friend recently, and they're, they've, they've got a high level of education, and they feel like they're just washing dishes right now, and they're struggling with it. And, well, Jesus may have something for you to do and accomplish in that space. When we come to Jesus, we may experience in our relationships that our spouse, our partner, our kids, they just don't understand this, this newfound religion, the stuff that we're, you know, how our lives are changed. They may not understand that. What do we have to give to Jesus today? I think this is the question. This is the question. What, what do we need to give to Jesus today? Because we haven't released it. We haven't released it. The word is sanctification. It's not perfection. It's sanctification. This is what we do because we're constantly realizing, oh, Lord, I have not given this to you today. I have not actually given you control of my marriage. I have not actually given you control of my work. I have not actually given you control of my bank account. What do we need to lay in the arms of Jesus today? Do we trust Jesus to hold them and take care of that stuff? Which is a difficult task. A difficult task there are stories, there are countless stories of, of, of wartime where, and you see these in movies and, and you hear them from, from stories, uh, 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 World War II stories and whatnot, where, where a, a company or a platoon is being decimated. Their leaders have been killed. The, the commanders have been killed. And they're, they're still charged and tasked with taking this hill. And, 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 and usually in these stories, uh, someone rises up, a young person rises up out of the ranks and says, let's just push one more time, one more time. And you see in these stories that as this young leader rises, everybody else is gone. And this young leader rises, and it looks like it's hopeful, hopeless, but they say, one more push, one more push, and we can do this. And you see the, the company, the battalion, go in and actually go in in victory. Why does that happen? Because they trust that young commander who rose up out of their ranks and said, you know what, guys, follow me, follow me. Jesus is saying, do you trust me? Will you follow me. Do you trust me with everything you have? Everything you have. And what looks like a losing situation will become a win. Jesus takes our losing situation and makes it a win. He makes it a victory. Matthew 16, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Okay, you want to save your life, you're actually going to lose it. You want to you actually will lose your life, you're actually going to save it. This, this is such an interesting paradox. It goes against everything of this world. The world looks at this and says, you're losing? You're giving control up? Man, the, the scales aren't balanced anymore. 
We can give it up because we're walking, we're not walking the path of the world anymore. Our identity is no longer tied to this. Our identity is no longer tied to our relationships. Our identity is no longer tied to, to us building and creating and producing stuff for ourselves. Our identities are no longer tied to try to gain control and power and, and, and all of that. As ambassadors of Christ, we take on a new flavor. We take on the flavor of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that makes us like salt. Like salt. In verse 34, now salt is good, but if the salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who hears, uh, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. He uses other, in, in, in the, the Gospels, he, he uses the example of us being salt in this world. What does salt do? It brings taste, it brings flavor, it, it, it preserves. It's, it, in the first century, it used, was used for seasoning, it was used for medicine, it was used for religious rites, um, it was used for trade, it was a huge trade item. You could use it for fertilizer and building, all of these things. Salt is supposed to have value, Jesus says. And when you follow me, when you decide to follow me, you're actually, you, you have that, that saltiness, that, that true flavor, the true purpose of what it's supposed to do. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. You're going to be pulled away. You're going to be tempted to be pulled away in this world. Pulled away. Your eyes are going to be, are going to be drawn to other things that are going to drive your attention and your time. You're going to try to build things for yourself. And that's tiring. And it's exhausting. And in the end, what happens? When Jesus comes back, all of that gets torn away anyway. Stop laboring and, and uh, using your, your time to, to expand this, this status you have with the world. The gospel frees us from that need. The gospel frees us from the need. Titus 3, he, he saved us not by works of righteousness, which all those things that he's talking about today could be considered works of righteousness. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God's arm of salvation is secure and true. Jesus says, oh, just let those other things slip from your fingers. Don't hold on to them so tightly. You cannot follow me if you're not willing to let these things go. And let me have control of your life. God is good. God is a good God. Our God is a, a strong God. We looked at Psalm 62.8. Psalm 62 is a fantastic psalm about God's strength and His might. I'd like us to say these words together, to pray these together. Can we do that? We'll put them up on the screen, Psalm 62. There's about three or four slides that will come up. Can we say these words together. I'm going to stand as we, as we read the scripture here. Let's declare this. Read this with me. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. 
He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were leaning a wall or a tottering fence? The only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Does that song ring true for you? You may be seated. Does that song ring true for you? Will you see God as your rest, your salvation, your rock, your refuge? Jesus says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Do we hear what Jesus is asking us to do today? Maybe there are places in your life you're like, yes, absolutely, I have not given this up. I continue to hold on to this. It may not even be a sin. It may be something good, but you're just trying to hold on desperately to it so you don't lose it. And Jesus says, why don't you let me carry that burden for you? So you can truly follow me and rest in the peace that I can provide to you. It's not about deprivation or or losing everything. It's about freely relying on God to meet our needs, give us our purpose and our plan. We can keep trying to move Even as children of God, we can keep trying to move in this world way down with heavy bags that we're dragging with us, or we can allow Jesus to walk beside us and say, hey, let me carry those for you. Let me me worry about that stuff for you as we walk along this world together. Let's lay down the burdens of this world as we continue to give praise to our Lord and Savior and our King. Amen? Amen. We're going to worship the Lord some more. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then uh, the band's going to lead us in a few more songs of worship where we just get to sing our hearts out to our Lord and Savior, our glorious King, Jesus. Lord God, we come to you. It is so hard to let go of some of the things in our life because we are truly afraid that we will lose them. 
But you've shown us, you've told us that the things of this world are passing away anyway. And you have great riches in store for us, eternal riches in store for us when we decide to follow you. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to show us uh, the, the areas of our life that we need to let go, lay in your hands, allow you to carry the, the, the weight and the burden. Lord, I pray that we would rely on you and your strength alone and not our own, that we would see you as our refuge and our fortress, the one who is there to take care of us and to provide for us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.